0: Hi, this is Steve Nerlich from Cheap Astronomy. Why, 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 why cheap astronomy? Yeah, why? And this is Dear Cheap Astronomy, episode 56 Objects. Objects are things that, well, that's it actually, they're things. In this episode, we're going to look at some solar system objects that don't fit any major category, they're just big rocks or, you know, objects. Dear Cheap Astronomy, how many near-Earth objects do we need to worry about? As you are probably aware, the Earth's orbit is an average one astronomical unit away from the Sun. The definition of a near-Earth object is any solar system body whose closest approach to the Sun is 1.3 astronomical units. And all that matters is that closest approach to the Sun, the perihelion. So, Halley's Comet is a near-Earth object, even though for most of its 76-year orbit, it's nowhere near Earth or even Earth's orbit. Of course, most near-Earth objects are near-Earth asteroids with relatively circular orbits, similar to Earth's. In total, there are over 18,000 near-Earth asteroids that we know about, versus just over 100 near-Earth comets. The near-Earth asteroids we worry most about are the ones that cross the Earth's orbit. These are the ATENs group, with about 1,400 known members, and the Apollo group, with about 10,000 known members. Of course, although these orbits might be kind of close, Earth's orbit is pretty big, about 940 million kilometres in circumference. So the probability of the Earth and an Earth orbit crossing object being in the same place at the same time isn't very high. But of course, it's not a zero probability. So we've assigned the term potentially hazardous objects, or PHOs, to the particular subgroup of near-Earth objects that are over 400 metres in diameter and have the potential to come within 20 times the distance from the Earth to the Moon. Over 1,800 objects currently fit these criteria, which is around 11% of the total near-Earth object population. A well-known example of a potentially hazardous object Is the 400-meter-diameter asteroid Apophis, a member of the Atens group, which was discovered in 2004, causing some consternation when it was determined to carry a 3% risk of hitting the Earth in 2029. Subsequent refined measurements of its orbit eliminated that risk, but still raised the possibility that its close encounter with Earth in 2029 might shift its orbit so it would then hit Earth in 2036. But yet further refinements of those measurements suggested that wasn't very likely either, so Apophis is just now one of many potentially hazardous objects with a Torino scale measure of zero. The Torino scale goes from zero to ten, where zero just means an object is either too small to make it to the ground or it has a pretty much zero risk of hitting Earth anyway. Then a score of 1 is an object of interest, but with a lot of careful wording around that to avoid anyone thinking there's an immediate cause for concern. A score of 2 to 4 is maybe some cause for concern, as it means a close encounter is expected, where 2 is a close encounter with something the size of the 400-metre apophis and 4 is a close encounter with an object that's more than a kilometre in diameter. Then a Torino score of 5 to 7 means it's time to start huddling around the TV, awaiting further bulletins, where 5 means someone might die, and 7 means we might all die. Then 8 to 10 means a collision is inevitable, where 8 means local destruction from direct impact or a tsunami, 9 means regional devastation, and perhaps by a really devastating tsunami, and 10 means it's pretty much game over for civilization as we know it. The Chicxulub impact, which took out the dinosaurs, is considered to have been a 10, while the 1908 Tunguska event is considered to have been an 8, because it caused fairly localised damage. The 2013 Chelyabinsk meteor also caused local damage, but that was due to a shockwave after it exploded in mid-air, so it's still considered to have a Torino score of zero, because it didn't reach the ground intact, even though the airburst broke windows and injured some 1,500 people. So you might ask... How many of the currently known near-Earth objects have a Torino scale above zero? Well, none. So, as far as catastrophic impacts go, there's really nothing on the horizon, although another hundred years of small gravitational perturbations could add up to all sorts of trouble in the longer term. Nonetheless, we really are now one step ahead of the dinosaurs even if it is just one small step. This is the middle bit. So as objects, near-Earth objects are pretty significant to our lives, particularly to the continuation of our lives. That is, at least until we really get out there, so we're no longer sitting ducks back on dear old Earth. And speaking of being out there, how's this for an object? Dear Cheap Astronomy, does the Goblin change our thinking about Planet Nine? Well, maybe, but it doesn't change our thinking much. On the 1st of October 2018, the discovery of a new solar system body was announced, called 2015 TG387. The TG is just a catalogue reference, but since it was discovered just after Halloween someone decided that TG should stand for the Goblin. And if you heard it was a new dwarf planet, well, no. The International Astronomical Union is in charge of dwarf planet designation, and they haven't actually designated any new dwarf planets since the first batch of five was announced back in 2008. So any large solar system bodies that we've found since just get called minor planets. Although there's no reason why some of those minor planets couldn't be put in the dwarf planet category. Mind you, here at Cheap Astronomy, we think the dwarf planet category is a pretty arbitrary sort of category. After all, what do Ceres and Eris have in common, apart from being medium-sized round things that are in belts and that were known about before 2008? Anyhow, at just 300km diameter, the goblin is right on the cusp of how big an icy outer solar system body should be to be in hydrodynamic equilibrium. That is, an object that's adopted a spherical shape as a result of its own self-gravity. So, if the International Astronomical Union is going to designate any new dwarf planets, it will first need to work through a list of much larger objects, like Sedna, for example, which has a diameter of about 1,000 kilometres. But again, there's been no new dwarf planets announced for 10 years now. It makes you wonder if the IAU are just hoping everyone will quietly forget about the whole dwarf thing, which was arguably just a distraction to ease the pain of Pluto's demotion from planethood. But anyway, there was some genuine newsworthiness to the announcement of the Goblin's discovery. It is the latest member of a small and specific group of minor planets, which are called Sednoids, because, like Sedna, their perihelion is outside the Kuiper Belt, at more than 50 astronomical units from the Sun. So, of course, any Sednoids aphelion being their most distant orbital point from the Sun, is going to be way, way out there. By definition, Sednoids have semi-major axes of more than 150 astronomical units, remembering that the semi-major axis is one half of the long axis of an elliptical orbit, which would be equivalent to the radius of a perfectly circular orbit. So all this means that Sednoids have huge orbits, and hence have huge orbital periods, with Sedna netting over 11,000 years just to do one orbit of the Sun. And then the Goblin has the biggest orbital period of all, with a semi-major axis of 1,051 astronomical units, which gives it an orbital period of over 34,000 years. This is the largest orbital period of anything that we currently call a minor planet. There are long-period comets that have longer periods, the longest we know about being Comet West, which is thought to have an orbital period of a quarter of a million years, although we've only actually seen it come around once, and it did start breaking up on that pass, so who knows what its future is but we are pretty sure it came from an aphelion of about one light year away, which is about where we consider the hypothetical Oort cloud to be. Of course, another subtext to the Goblin announcement is that it represents another data point to support the Brown-Batogen proposal of a Uranus-sized ninth planet that is out there somewhere perturbing the orbits of many small known bodies. At the time of the Planet Nine announcement, cheap astronomy was concerned that we were trying to build a robust model from a very limited set of data points, which were being collected from the very edge of our current observational limits. So, some are seeing the Goblin's discovery as increasing the likelihood of us eventually discovering Planet Nine But from Cheap Astronomy's perspective, discovering the goblin really just supports our scepticism about the strength of the existing data set, since there may be a whole bunch of other objects out there that we haven't found yet, which could change everything. As usual, the best thing to do is just wait and watch this space. This is the end bit. So, there you go. We're approaching 2020 with still no Planet 9 found and still only five dwarf planets. What we do know is that there's objects out there following such huge orbits we may not know about them for hundreds or thousands of years. Mind you, if there's something out there with five times the mass of Earth, it probably won't take us that long to either confirm or debunk its existence and you can probably guess which outcome we're putting a very modest bet on. But that's it for another episode of Dear Cheap Astronomy. If you've got a space science question, or you just want to object to our objectifying celestial bodies, why not write to CheapAstro at gmail.com and let us raise that objection for you. Thanks for listening. Steve Nalick. Cheap Astronomy